Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Like, half of y'all smiled when I said that. Like, that was, pretty, that was a pretty spectacular response. If... I pass by a, a bowl on someone's desk and there's Reese's peanut butter cups, let me tell you something. It's the devil, right? I walk by and I'm like, oh, oh man, the Reese's peanut butter cups. I, uh, I mean, it is a huge temptation for me. And I'm trying to cut down on my sugars because sugars, even small, even the small little Reese's peanut butter cups are a lot of added sugars uh, that are wasted sugars that aren't good. So I passed by and I, man, Reese's peanut butter cups, that's mine. Anybody else have that? Like Reese's peanut, we know my father's back here. What's his, what's his little Debbie cakes? And it doesn't matter what kind, if it's a little Debbie, I've, I've actually seen the man following the Little Debbie truck, right? So hoping that a box <laughs> jiggles off and falls down. I think, <laughs> I'm like, Dad, you got to quit stalking the Little Debbie supplier. You got to, that's just weird. They have you walk into the distributor here, and they've got a picture of avoid this man, you know, and it's his picture up there. Little Debbies. I tell you, though, uh, I grew up, watching a movie um, that some of you are probably familiar with, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Anybody know the Chitty Chitty Bang? Okay, good. So Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And it was Bennett, when Bennett was real little, like a toddler, it was his favorite movie. And he'd say, Bang Bang, want to watch Bang Bang? And we'd have to put that on. Now, if you, if you recall, there is a candy man in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Do you remember this guy? He's about this tall, and he's got this long, crooked nose like that turns up at the end, and he's got a wart with the hair going out of it. And he comes around, and he's got the candy, and he's like, candy. And he's got these suckers coming out of his hands, and he's trying to, to get the children to come out because really what he is is he's a children snatcher. Do y'all remember this guy? No? I had nightmares about this guy growing up. What's that? Bennett, no, Bennett thought he was crazy. So Bennett really didn't, it never scared him. But me, like, I'm like, God, that guy used to freak me out. And he would go up and, candy, hello, kitties, I've got candy. Y'all don't remember that guy? Okay, some of you, there's a couple of you. Go back and watch it, and then you're like, oh, that is creepy. All he was doing was taking candy and luring kids into a cage because in their kingdom children were illegal and as I thought about the sermon today I thought about what a beautiful picture not beautiful beautiful is not the right word what a appropriate picture of temptation that bowl of Reese's peanut butter cups that I really like I'm like oh my gosh I just gotta have one it's just one and I want it so bad or like the man acting like he's got candy to give the children when really all he has is a cage. What a 
perfect picture of temptation. Today we're going to continue this sermon series on the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we're looking at, as you might know now, the temptation of Jesus. Last week we looked at his baptism, and really it's more about his anointing than his baptism. That's what we talked about last week. And one of the things that we talked about last week is actually going to come back in this sermon. So just hold on with that idea for a minute. So here's the picture. Jesus goes to the river, steps into the middle of humanity and all its sin and brokenness, and takes on baptism, even though he didn't need to be baptized as a repentance for sin because he had never sinned. But he did it so that he could connect with broken humanity. He stepped out of heaven and into brokenness and as he waded into the Jordan River and as he was baptized when he came up he heard the voice the clouds parted the spirit descended on him and the voice said you are my son with whom I am well pleased the spirit descended he was commissioned and anointed then we come immediately to verse 1 of Luke 4 so if you have your Bibles turn to Luke 4 we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, or you can follow on the screens, or you can follow on a smart device if you have the Bible on your phone or on a tablet. And this is what Luke says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, not Jesus prompted by the Holy Spirit, not Jesus led by the Holy Spirit, which is another translation or from another one of the Gospels, but Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those 40 days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Really, you think? That's such an unnecessary clause that he adds in there, Luke. He didn't eat for 40 days. We got that he's hungry, right? You don't really need to tell us he was hungry. But what's important here are a couple of things that I want to go back to in verses 1 and 2. First off, he was full of the Spirit, and then he was led by the Spirit. And the word led there, was led, the way we translate that, is actually a, a, a verb that in the original language means an ongoing action in the past that has ripple effects in the present. Right? So this ongoing action of being led by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was being led consistently by the Holy Spirit. That's a huge point. And it's at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Remember, he was anointed by the Spirit. Now he's full with the Spirit, and he is continually being led by the Spirit. And then it says he returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Now, some translations say for 40 days being tempted by the devil, so it, and they put the comma in a place where it, may, it sounds like for 40 days he was being tempted. That's not where the comma should come. The comma actually comes after for 40 days, which then means in our language, just for the, those of you that might be lost right now, is that for 40 days, continuously, Jesus was being led by the Spirit. For 40 days, <clears throat> nonstop, night and day, he was connected to the Spirit. For 40 days. Now, when you hear the number 40, what does that bring to mind? There's a lot of biblical allusions here, so I'm just going to open the floor and let you say, what does 40 days remind you of? Say it out loud. 
Well, okay, not all at once, because all I heard was, I was, blah, blah, blah. The flood. What? So, what y'all say? I can't hear. All right, leaving Egypt, so 40 years in the desert. So the flood, 40 days of the flood, 40 years in the desert. What about Moses? How long was he on the mountain? 40 days. And what was he doing for 40 days on the mountain? Yes, and receiving the, very good, receiving the law and the Ten Commandments. So we got that 40 days. What else was 40? Lent is 40 days. And celebration of this consistence, 40. That, that'll suffice. 40 years in the desert, 40 days on the mountain. 40 comes up over and over and over and over and over again. And so it's important that Jesus is not eating, he's fasting, he's being led by the Spirit consistently for 40 days. Now, if you take those biblical allusions from the Old Testament and you kind of read those back into why Jesus chose to do this for 40 days, we get some pretty significant intel here, right? First off, we're learning just like Moses receiving the law and receiving instruction from, from the Father, Jesus for 40 days is receiving his mission. For 40 days, he's connected with the Spirit, getting, all right, this is kind of the layout. That's, that's one thing that we can read into this. 40 years in the desert. Why did Israel spend 40 years in the desert? Was that originally what the plan was? I'm giving you a hint. No, it wasn't originally. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and make you wander around in the desert for 40 years. He made him wander around in the desert for 40 years because what happened while Moses was spending 40 days up on the mountain? They created idols and started worshiping and trying to, trying to protect themselves and provide for themselves, right? And so while for 40 days Moses was on the mountain, the people of Israel were breaking the law. They were already, they were already saying, we don't trust this God, we don't trust Moses, we don't know what's going on. And so because of that, because they tested God and, and completely broke with what he had already told them to do, they spent the next 40 years in the desert. And so Jesus then, this 40 days in the wilderness, much like the desert, because the desert and the wilderness are the same thing when you're in the Middle East, for 40 days he's in this desert because he's taking on the role that Israel should have had. Where Israel fell and had to wander around for 40 days, he's saying, I'm the new Israel and I'm going to stay obedient. So this number 40 has deep significance in this scene. Jesus is saying, I'm the new law. I'm what Israel was supposed to be. I'm the son of God. I'm the one that you should be following. And during that time, he was continuously being tempted by the devil. Now, we don't, he wasn't tempted for 40 days, but there were times the devil would show up and then back off, show up and back off. So this is kind of a, a, a temptation that went on and on and on. But then we have this culmination in this next scene. Jesus was hungry, verse 3. And the devil shows up and says, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So this first temptation, 
is a temptation to provide for himself, right? For 40 days, he's been led by the Spirit. For 40 days, he hasn't eaten. For 40 days, he's been in connection with God. And Satan shows up at his most vulnerable stage. And he tempts him with what he is most vulnerable towards at this point. Which, as an aside, is a trick of the enemy. He looks for when you're alone. He looks for when you're hungry. And he looks for when you're vulnerable. And he still does that today, by the way. And then he says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. You're hungry. Make it become bread. And the temptation is to say to trust yourself and your power instead of God's provision. For 40 days he's been led by the Spirit, but now all of a sudden, make the provision for yourself. Because Jesus was vulnerable, he could have easily said, you know what, you're right. I don't know why the Father hasn't sent me food yet. I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to make bread. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Which is a quote from Deuteronomy which goes back to talking about manna, which then clues us in that it's 40 days in the wilderness, that he's becoming the new Israel. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So this is a supernatural like event. Like This is like almost otherworldly. It's like, look at all of this. He didn't just take him up to a high mountain saying, see, as, I, as far as your eye can see, I, I can give you this. This is, he, this is supernatural. And he says, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it, is written, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the second temptation is to say, okay, who are you loyal to? For 40 days, you've been getting your marching orders, but we can do this really quickly and easily. Instead of going through everything you're going to have to go through, just bow down and worship me, and I'll give it all to you right now. It's a shortcut. But the cost is loyalty. Are you going to be loyal to the God who created you and sent you to your father, to yourself, more or less? Or will you be loyal to me and take the shortcut? I'm offering you something easy. Now what's interesting, what's interesting is that this temptation takes us back to where we were last week in Psalm 2. If you remember, last week we read Psalm 2-7. And Psalm 2-7 in essence says that you are my son. It's a quote that the voice from heaven shares in the baptism scene in the anointing. We talked about how it was connected to Psalm 2 and how that Psalm 2 was a royal psalm for when a king took the throne. And it was a psalm that was sung throughout Israel's history every time a king was enthroned. And so now Satan goes back to Psalm 2 because Psalm 2.8 says... Ask, and I will give you all of the power over the world. 
all of the nations will be yours. Here's what's interesting. Satan's challenge is to what Jesus had experienced 40 days before. Are you really his son? I mean, if you are his son, why hasn't he given you everything yet? And so he takes this idea from Psalm 2, Satan does, and he manipulates it and he says, here's the world. In essence, Psalm 2 offers this, Psalm 2.8 offers this to you, the whole world. So if you are his son, why hasn't he given that to you yet? Here you go. I'm offering it to you now. So it goes back to Psalm 2 and what we experienced last week. So think about this. Jesus has this massive experience with this Father, this world-shattering, life-changing experience where he comes out of the water at his baptism. It opens up, the Spirit comes down, and he hears the voice, quote, Psalm 2-7. But for 40 days he slept in the wilderness where it's cold at night and where it bakes during the day. Where there is no provision, there's no comfortable place to sleep, and there are, there are animals. For 40 days, he was alone. For 40 days, he was there in the desert, in the wilderness. You'd think he ever once questioned, God, what in the world is going on here? Yes, he was continually led by the Spirit, but in that aloneness, do you think that The question ever crept up, are you really his son? And if so, why have you been led through this 40 days? And so that's what the the enemy's tapping into here. And here's how I think this applies to us. Not only does he attack when we're vulnerable, but he attacks when we start questioning. When we have questions, questions are normal and they're okay. Questions are part of faith. But what Satan likes to do is take your questions and manipulate them and maneuver them and get you to focus on the wrong things. And so he takes this quote from Psalm 2 and he perverts it. But Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And this also comes from Deuteronomy I can't remember if it's 6 or 8, chapter 6 or 8, but it also comes from Deuteronomy and the people of Israel as they're going through the desert. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, right? That's also one of the Ten Commandments. Verse 9, and he took him, so that temptation didn't work, so he goes a third time, and he took him to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for him, for it is written. So Jesus now twice has combated temptation with Scripture, and so he now quotes Scripture. And he says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, which also comes from, guess where? Deuteronomy. Three times he quotes Deuteronomy against the three temptations. And every time he quotes Deuteronomy, he's reconnecting back to this idea that he is becoming what Israel couldn't be for itself, the real people of God. He was connected to God in a way that Israel was incapable of doing on their own. 
So he is taking their place and he's creating a new nation, a new people. And so every time that there is a temptation that Satan throws in front of him, he's combating it and saying, no, my mission is this. This is what I'm called to do and to be. Every time. And so we see in this temptation a temptation to challenge God. A temptation to say, okay, if he's really who he says he is, then do this. And he doesn't buy that. Instead, Jesus says, no, look, you don't need to put God to the test. Three times he's tempted, three times he's overcome. This is a reminder of Moses and the Israelites and how they failed as the chosen people coming out of Israel, what Jesus is saying is, I am coming through the desert for you. I'm going to be, create the new Israel. I'm going to provide you a new land, a new kingdom, a new place. But what's also interesting about this text is that each one of these temptations can be linked back to the temptation of Adam. There are three things that Adam looked at the apple and said, ah, it's good for food, it's good for knowledge, and it's good that I will be like God. Those three temptations that Adam failed, Jesus is the new Adam and saying, I'm creating a whole new humanity. Because Adam couldn't do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up against the temptation. So what does all of this mean? We've talked about a lot of biblical theology today, about what this really is, how this scene links back to the Old Testament and how it links forward to what Jesus is going to do in creating a new people and a new kingdom, right? We've talked about all of that, but what does it mean for us here and now? Well, the first thing that I think we need to discuss, and there's just a couple that I want to hit today, but the first thing you need to understand is that the real temptation for us isn't moral failure. All too often, when we think about temptation, we think about the moral failure behind the temptation. Oh, I was tempted to do this, and I failed, and it was a moral failure. And we think about it on that level. But in this scripture, what we find, and we don't have time to tease out all the connections back to this, but Jesus isn't tempted to our moral failure, although that would be the consequence of his disobedience. What Jesus was really tempted to do was what theologians call apostasy. Does anybody know what that means, apostasy? You've probably heard it before. It means rebellion. It means to switch sides. So the real temptation that Jesus has here is not just moral failure, but it's to switch sides. It's to align his life with the wrong thing. What I would say to you is that our temptations are the same. That when we're tempted to something, don't just look at the moral failure because it's too easy to look at a moral failure and say, yeah, but I'll recover from that. <laughs> yeah, I can lie here, but I'll recover from that. 
yeah, I can cheat here, but I'll recover from that. Yeah, I can steal here, but no one will ever find out. But that's not the real temptation. Lie, cheat, steal, none of that. The real temptation is to choose the wrong source of giving. The real temptation is to align yourself with the wrong things. The real temptation is to rebel against God's will for your will, where you put your will above God's will. The real temptation, anytime we're tempted, is apostasy. It's rebellion against God. It's to say, no, God, I don't choose your way. I choose my way. So the first thing we need to understand is that any temptation we experience is a temptation not just to sin, but to say no to God. I choose something over and above you. And that's apostasy. That's flat-out rebellion. The second thing that I think it teaches us, as I've already mentioned, that Satan looks for us when we're vulnerable. He looks for us when we're at our weakest. He looks for us when we're alone. He looks for us to find those things that that are most attractive to us and to present it in a way that's right there and easy for us. He's cunning. Which then means if we're going to overcome it, we have to create, create, create? <laughs> we have, I'm not Bugs Bunny. We have to create, or Elmer Fudd, we have to create boundaries. So whatever you're tempted towards, create a boundary. Jesus' boundary came in a couple of ways. One was through Scripture, right? One boundary was Scripture. He knew Scripture and he was connected to it. Another thing that helped him through that was the Holy Spirit. He created a space for the Holy Spirit to lead him. And so if we're going to overcome the temptations, then we need boundaries in our life. If that bowl of chocolates is going to tempt you, remove it. Right? Right? If there's something that's temptation to you, remove it. That's why we practice Lent, to go back to your point. The 40 days of Lent is to mirror this 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness. It's to say no to those things that tempt us. That's why we give things up, things that distract us. So create boundaries. Create boundaries. And then the last thing ties into the second thing that I think we learned from this. You can't do this on your own. You can't overcome temptation on your own. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. And by you, I mean me. I'm not strong enough or smart enough to overcome temptation. I've got to have the help of God. And that's where, as I mentioned in point two, the Holy Spirit comes in. Guys, you've got to have his help. Satan is like the candy maker or the candy guy in, in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He's calling you in. Oh, candy, I've got candy. Y'all need to go and like Google that or whatever. Find it on YouTube. It is super creepy. And you're going to think like, wow, that was actually in a children's show. Another thing in that thing, this is another weird thing in that movie, by the way. There's a whole cheerful song about murdering your wife. There is. You're my little hoochie cooch. <laughs> it's hilarious. He's talking about killing his wife. Very disturbing. The point, and by the way, does anybody know who wrote that movie? This is totally off subject. Does anybody know who wrote that? Ian Fleming. Do you know what else Ian Fleming wrote? 
James Bond. James Bond author wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So just keep that in mind because there's some names in there that are just kind of like, whoa, I can't believe that made the edit. Like that person's name shouldn't be in a children's movie. You'll have to go figure it out. My point being is Ian Fleming in all his brilliance was making a point that I think this story makes for us. Is that Satan is so attractive and his temptations are so attractive but there's really a cage behind it Jesus knew that he knew that it wasn't a temptation of moral failure but to apostasy to rebellion he knew he had to create boundaries and he knew he needed to be led by the spirit if Jesus needed that so do we I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.